Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Cast Dice. Uh, my name is Old Man Morin, and Cast Dice is a podcast that looks at one of the, or many of the uh, myriad of games that are out on the market these days. Uh, it's been said on this podcast many times that I, I guess we're in a hobby renaissance. There are just so many great games to play, and there's not enough time to play them all. Um, I guess it's it's my goal to talk about as many games or as many new and exciting things that are going on in the gaming industry and uh, to go from there. Um, I guess just to inform people and talk about the games that we love to play. Uh, today, we're going to be going back to an old favorite of, uh, of mine, uh, especially in the podcasting world, uh, Bolt Action. And we have a brand new Bolt Action campaign book, The Road to Berlin, to talk about. But before we do that, I think it's important to talk about the other man on the mic, co-host for this particular episode. He's been on the LRDG. I think he's been on the Ghost Army podcast. Man, he's been on almost... I think you may be one of the most uh, regular guests I've had. Uh, famous, of course, in Australia on the old Australian Facebook page. And just all around awesome dude, Luke Emerton. How you doing, man? Hey there, Brad. Uh, it's good to be back. It's good to have you, man. Welcome to the new cast. Uh, it's, it's looking good. Oh, I'm glad you like it, man. I'm glad you like it. So, Luke... You and I have been talking off-air about the different games we've been playing. Uh, I went to the Conflict 47, uh, Gaslands, you know, variety of games to play. Malifaux slash maybe even a little King's War on the side thing going on right now. But you've been playing other games. You've been playing the game that looks really good and everyone keeps talking about. Tell us what you've been playing. Yeah, I've been a bit distracted by the... Um the behemoth that is uh, 40k recently, um, the uh, eighth edition change, yep. and all the excitement around there's kind of drawn me back. Um, and I've dabbled with it over the years. I mm -hmm. go way back to second edition, and it's kind of everything is new and exciting again. So um, yeah, it's been a bit distracting for a while, but um, it's been good fun at the same time. Yeah, it's just good. It's like uh, revisiting your childhood or something, going back and looking at you know the. That thing you know, and the great thing I think yeah. that Eighth Edition's done well is they've gone back to, and revisited and re you know repower leveled and repointed everything in the game, and so you know you knew like Corn Berserkers were good in hand to hand combat. Well, they may not have been mm. great in hand to hand combat in the last session. I actually don't know. I'm just making that up. Um, they're they're good at hand to hand combat now, and so they're exactly what it says on the tin. Oh, they're good in hand to hand combat. Yeah. Oh, look, they're good in hand to hand combat, and. Um, from what I've heard, they really have done a, a much better job of leveling the game than, uh, I guess, previous editions. And the constant FAQ, the constant repointings, the changing of things, while some people are finding it maybe hard to keep up, um, it's definitely yeah. keeping the competitive side of the game uh, interesting because things, you know, somebody thinks, oh, I've broken the game, and then the company hears about it and it changes. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, you're actually playing it regularly. Are you? Is this impacting on you at all? Yeah. What well, um, to go back to what uh, what you said earlier? That's um, everything old is new again. So all these uh, you know units that we've had tucked away in drawers that were never quite good, mm -hmm. they are now have a purpose on the table, and you can find a way to use them a lot better. Yeah, and that, that's not saying that everything is awesome and there still are always those few units that outlie and are better than other units but you can have 
a great time using what you want now. So that just makes it just so much more enjoyable. And and also regarding like the FAQ and the errata, it's a, it's a different thing to get used to at first, but um, I think maybe in a way it might be a way of the future. It helps keep a game a little bit more dynamic and maybe we have to move on a little bit. Now, computer games do constant updates, so exactly. to speak. Um, you know, it may, it may be upsetting at times, but it, it, it just happens. So maybe that's, yeah, it's just one of the ways of the way that it has to go. Almost like a living rule book. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, I've been playing a lot of games where there are regular FAQs. Malifaux is a game where they update cards and they FAQ things. Mm. And um, I, I listened to, uh, there's a Melbourne-based X-Wing podcast that um, the, the guys play out of my local um, called Hell of a Pilot. Great podcast if you're interested in X-Wing at all. Um, one of the things, I, I don't play much X-Wing, but I love listening to the podcast because um, one of the features of the show is they always have Holonet news at the beginning and one of the guys puts on an old-timey radio voice <laughs> and like, and listening to the, if you're loyal and, you know, Imperial radio uh, <laughs> listeners, let me tell you about what's going on in the, you know, the Holonet these days. Yeah. And it's it's really cute and funny. Um, really well put together. But then they also, at the end, talk through the history of a Star Wars character. And that's, I guess, my favorite part of the show. Uh, and they'll mm-hmm. go through, you know, where in the canon it is and whether it's not canon anymore, but it is, and if there's, you know, changes to its history. And as a Star Wars yep. fan, I think it's fun to listen to. Um, but those guys are constantly talking through changes to the meta, changes to ships. Because as new cards come out, you know, it it's because it's a card based fixing fixes to the game. Yep. There's always things. And then they have FAQs, which change the rules around how the cards work. Um, and so that's a game that's constantly evolving. And mm. I, I mean, uh, 40K is the same way. Um, now, I've been surprised. Um, not only did we get, I mean, it took, uh, what, a year, um, but we got the Conflict 47 Resurgence book. And there was a hell of a lot of changes in that that profoundly changed the rules. If you're interested, please go back a couple of episodes and listen to that. Um, I think it's a fantastic rule set. They've really taken some of my favorite parts of Bolt Action version 2 and Conflict 47 version 1 and married them in to create this completely original rule set that feels a lot like Bolt Action, but is subtly and profoundly different. Um, but just this week, they came out with an article saying two things on the this is through the website the warlord website one there's going to be another book coming out in a few months um i think it's first quarter i think we're talking marchish range maybe august i'm sorry april um and it's called uh conflict 47 defiance and we're going to get more new units um there's rumored to be more nations in it um there's going to be also some more new rules in it. Um, and they've talked uh, about what some of those are. And so Conflict 47's actually, and there's there was some FAQ about um, resurgence. And it just seems like Conflict is taking on this desire to update and to stay constant, um, which is really nice to see. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of it going around in the industry. Malifaux is famous for it. So I've been playing a lot of games with this constant updating, and um, it's nice to see Warlord and you know um, Clockwork Goblin, those guys who um, you know do the rule set, doing that. It's just it's great to see. 
Um, and I hope we see more of it because it keeps things from, you know, it, it, in my mind, it prevents the feel badsies. Um, when people find something that, you know, will ruin someone else's days and you might have to sit on it for six to nine months. Um, all of a sudden these get fixed. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that's right, Brad. It's, um, it kind of just stirs the pot a little bit every now and then, which is always good, you know. At, you know as gamers, we kind of like to look through the books and kind of imagine how things are going to work. So mm-hmm. um, every now and then just to have that pot stirred a little bit just creates a little bit of excitement. And and I'm sure most game designers, developers would be quite conscious too of, of not um, being too overly handed in changing the rules as well. So um, I'm sure I'm, I'm quite interested in that conflict um, development, what you said there, that they're just interested in just, you know, just messing around with it a little bit, you know, every year or so that a book comes out. And that sounds really good, especially if that book has the extra value that you get units in there from many nations and everything. Mm-hmm. It's, and two new nations. So, and you get more nations. Um, so, you got um, Japan and Finland in the most recent book, and the book that's coming out, rumors, and I don't know if this is if this is actually accurate, is you're going to get at least one more nation, and that will be possibly France or possibly Italy. Um, hopefully, there might be some partisan action going on. And just the, I mean, they added five or six, maybe seven units per army in the last book. And that really, yeah. in my mind, opened up certain nations. Like Britain, my British army, when looking into the, the Resurgence book, all of a sudden, it blew up. And it, it got really interesting. And it went, okay, cool, all right, I'm getting more of a, a national identity here. I'm getting more ideas of things that I can do. And it's just some really cool new units, um, like the Dog units or the Rift Tech Grenadiers, um, just new walkers that the Ameri- that they aren't just lend leased and they're original. They're not just photocopied from the Americans. Um, really, yeah. just made it really interesting. And, and, and one the great thing there is it also gives the uh, the book a bit more value for money too, because it could quite easy be for someone to say, "Well, it doesn't have any of my units in there. Why do I need to buy the book?" But just by sprinkling a bit of something in there for everyone, just increases the value of the book as well and makes sure it gets out there. Yeah, totally. And. Um, it- it's good stuff. Yeah, man. I I really I really dig that book. It's been on my bedside table since I got it. Um and you know, I like to read a bunch of things before bed just to mull on, you know, think it through. That book's a constant. It never never leaves. I'm constantly thinking about it. Um and I'll take pictures of it to to you know, pay of different pages of different units with my phone and I'll just sit on the, on the train in the morning as I'm commuting to work. Yeah, exactly. would be like, huh, now what exactly were the options for that unit again? How does this interact? Let me look this up. So the way we fill our times. Oh, seriously. Tell me about it. Well, all right. Now we, we've talked about conflict 47. We've talked about 40 K we've talked about a whole other bunch of games, but let's, let's go back. Let's go back to, uh, I don't know, a, a game that, has captured both of our imaginations for quite a while. Um, it's 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 a great game, and I really enjoy playing it. Uh, that would be Bolt Action, of course. Now, you and I were saying, talking online, talking about this new book, and um, you said something that I thought was really interesting um, about you know you've been messing around with 40k, and you've been messing around with maybe a couple other uh, World War II rule sets, but then what has this book done for you? That is the Road to Berlin campaign book. Well, um, I've 
uh, for a long time been an early war play, just um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, exploring all the different possibilities through there. But um, for uh, for the first time in a, lo- a long time, this book has made me seriously look at: Do I need to get into this late war stuff that everyone, not maybe not everyone, but um, you seem to see all around? So it's got me looking a lot more, and maybe even going to websites and planning lists a little bit, which is um, that next step, that deadly next step. It really is, right? It's that. Once the seed's planted, you're like, oh, but but I don't need that. Oh, maybe I do. Oh, maybe, yeah. oh, maybe, uh, especially Jesus. It's just been, we're recording this just after Black oh. Friday. This is the weekend after Black Friday. I have never seen so many Black Friday sales. It's ridiculous. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I only remembered about uh, two weeks ago, too. To, oh, I better start locking away um, some money because it gets a little bit serious this time of year. Yeah. So, um, oh, man already done my big purchase so i'm happy so um yeah there you go there you go yeah i i'm i i'm i know a couple of the sales are going running till tonight and i'm like do i do i i've been really good this year i haven't bought anything i've been really good but man the right. temptation the temptation Ooh. <laughs> yes so um yeah that's um it, it's been a little bit tempting now so um yeah. just looking together at these uh late war forces because there are some yeah interesting uh parts of this book yeah there's some tastiness now i do want to talk about the elephant in the room before we start um there's been there has been um quite a few people well not quite a few but there's been a few people who have um been down on this book um it came out and i saw one person comment on our facebook page that isn't the road to berlin it's the road to meh um and I made it, I made, you know, haters going to hate. I sent that uh, little meme and like laughed it off. But I, I look, I, I can understand why someone might say that, but I don't agree. Um, let, let me talk through the process here a little bit. Um, so there were the theater books that we got for a long time. And with those books, um, they were fairly wide ranging and fairly broad. Um, and if we go to like the Ostfront book, we got some new units. Um, we got, I think, a couple selectors in there, ton of new missions, ton of historical um, context to play the games. And it was a big, fat, beautiful book. Um, now, the campaign book, Road to Berlin, is very similar to Ostfront in my mind. Um, I mean, clearly, it's a lot of the same battles, a lot of the same sort of history is covered in the book, but the campaign book is very, is a lot more focused. Um, and there's, there's a lot of great additions that hadn't been there previously. Now I understand that, um, the campaign book, the battle of the bulge and the PNG book were ridiculously popular with a lot of the people that I normally talk to who play bolt action, um, for a variety of reasons. Um, the Battle of the Bulge book is one of my favorite books that exists in the game um, because it has quite a few armies that give you new national rules, which really mix things up. There's a ton of new units in there, um, and they're new units that added things things um, like the field police or the chaplain that, that added a lot to the game but didn't break it. Um, I mean, there were some units that were inserted in some books that you looked at and you went, why does that unit of cavalry have tough fighter? And of course, that's in version one. And, you know, a lot of people got feel badsies about wanting to play against an army like that. Um, And I understand, look, 
I, I love that book. And I also love the book that came after the PNG book. And it also had similar army lists with new rules, a lot of new units, um, and you know some new nations. So you got Free France and Battle of the Bulge. You got the infiltrating um, Panzer Brigade, um, Scorsese's force in the Battle of the Bulge. Of course, you got um, the Australians and other great, great stuff in the PNG book. Um, now, let's talk about this book. This book is, I think it's something that's in between. Um, it's got a lot of great, I mean, it's tons of history. This book is chocker block. The pictures in it are fantastic. Um, tons of missions. We have new units. We have new army lists, new theater selectors. Um, a lot of great stuff in it, but it doesn't have any new nations. Um, and I think that is one of the reasons why some people are like, well, it's not really giving me anything new. Uh, I, I beg to differ. There's a lot of new in this book. Um, now, one of the strengths of this book is its missions. There's a ton of them in there. Um, and they all link up with history. And there's a lot of units that relate to those and special rules to change the way you play the game. Now, if you are playing in a club or you're playing in with a group of historically-minded mates who want to play these missions where maybe one side has more points than the other, but then there are rules that sort of balance it out by disadvantaging one side because, you know, the Germans were really on the back foot on this. And so they are running out of fuel. They're having problems. There are minefields. There are bunkers. Um, those things. All of that's in here. Um, now... The Snafu podcast um, got their grubby paws on this book before we did, and they did a wonderful job um, of talking through some of the missions and the historical um, context. I don't want to step on their toes by doing rehashing what they did. I think they did a really good job of covering it, and if you haven't listened to the Road to Berlin podcast that the Snafu podcast does... I think you guys should listen to it. It's it's fantastic. Um, yeah, it it. I think what we're gonna do today is talk about some of the other stuff in the book. So if that puts it all into place, um, Luke, is there anywhere in this book that you would like to start? Because there's quite a few places that I definitely want to start. Um, did you just right off the bat though? Did you have any, um? Any, I don't know, any conversation you wanted to say about the missions? Because I sort of brushed it off. But is there anything that you really wanted to say about that? Yeah, Brad, regarding the book, it's um, when it first uh, turned up for me in the post, I was um, uh, quite um, surprised or I suppose pleased. It's quite a hefty book. It's got, it, yes. it is a really big book and there is a lot of, a lot of information. It just gives a quick overview of much of the history and, um, and and there is a lot of missions in here, just in mixed in with a few platoons to um, yes. to help play those missions. And regarding the missions, uh, I've been reading through a, uh, a few of them now, and um, they look quite interesting missions. I don't think a lot of the missions are straight up, um, maybe competitive style missions, you know, in terms of an open format, because as you're saying, they've got you know often uh, different points values and all that. But I think they um they have a little bit of victory conditions in there. But I think a lot of the missions are just trying to simulate maybe you know the, what the period was like. So um Definitely. just going through with them, a lot of them look quite desperate and um yeah quite tough little missions to even try. You know maybe if you don't have much of a chance to uh, to win the mission, just see how far you can go and maybe grimly hang on as the Germans were trying to do. 
Exactly. And I, I would imagine, I mean, if you thought about the book entitled The Road to Berlin, I, yeah. I, you would kind of hope they do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's um, not many happy endings, I think, through history and yeah, the way this ended up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, In terms of the Germans, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and <laughs> just, I mean, just like in some of the other books, um, as it's gone through the history and sort of looked at each section of um, the campaign, it's, I mean, it, it is, I seem, it, this isn't the Battle of the Bulge. Like, the Battle of the Bulge was very focused mm. on one particular section of the war. Like, this really sort of stretches out um, over a couple of years along a front. That's right, yeah. Um, there's a the lot, the yeah. The Battle of the Bulge was that concentrated period where, yeah, this does stretch out from, yeah, 44, maybe, yeah, through to 45, right to the end. So there, that's why there is quite a bit of content in there, yeah. Exactly. So it's not quite as focused, I suppose, yeah. And I think the same thing could be said with the PNG book. Like, it was much more focused than this book, which seems to be more, it's a broader approach. Um, but again, I, I don't, it would be hard to do sections of this book as entire books. Um, I think they had to do it this way, and I, I like what it brings to the table. Now, um, they're each of the major sections... So the, the book is broken up into what I would almost consider each little campaign. So you have Operation Bagration. Um, there's the, I don't even know how to pronounce that, Levolve, Sandemeyer's Offensive, the Warsaw Uprising, which I was very excited to see. Um, yep. The Struggle Continues, um, the Vistal Order Offensive, Operation Berlin, the Prague Uprising, um, there's just a ton and each one of those sections has its own scenarios. Each one of those sections has its own theater selectors, or at least a lot of them have their own theater selectors or new units. And so going through a book like this to talk about, well, what's in it is kind of hard because it's broken into so many rich sections. Um, did you have that feeling as well when you were looking at this? Yeah, I, I did. Um, there's, um, a really good uh, mix through the period. You can start from um, some of the bigger tank battles earlier on in the um, mm -hmm. earlier on in the campaign, right through to desperate struggles in the streets of Berlin, and also yeah, as uh, the Prague uprising and the War Warsaw uprising. So there's a real mix in there, which also I suppose does mean there's a real mix of platoons and uh, units in there. That's right. That's right. And this does tie in. I mean, a lot of the, the, the missions that are played in here tie in directly with theater selectors that are already in German books or already in um, the Soviet book. Um, clearly, there are more than those two nations involved. I mean, clearly, we talked about Poland a minute ago. Um, but those, I guess, are the main two protagonists talked about in this book. Um I was a little surprised. I almost expected more. I guess I didn't read what was in the book um, when I was um, ordering it because um, when I called up War and Peace Games and said, hey, please send me the book. I would like the road to Berlin, please. I was expecting it to be, I guess, on both sides um, because it was a two front war at that point And Hitler was being squeezed on the Soviets on one side and the Allies, the rest of the Allies on the other. Um, and the rest of the allies are largely 
absent from this book. This is very much the the Soviet v. German um, book, which is why I'm getting sort of flashbacks to the Ostfront book, which was largely, you know, how Soviet the Soviets were involved with the war. Um, so uh, I, I definitely can see why the Allied section wasn't present. Um, and I feel like the Battle of the Bulge book and some of the other books out there have plenty of units that allow you to take the the late war, um, you know, Allied version into account. So I can I can see that. Um, and I think there's some great new units for both the Germans and the Soviets um, that really sort of bring this to life. Um, but let, let's get into some of those units. Um, did you want to talk about some of the theater selectors that grabbed you across the book or any of the new units? Um, I know that you were very much looking at some of the new German units um, from early and from late. Um, where would you like to start? Well, one of the first things I saw when um, the table of contents for this uh, book came up was I was instantly drawn to the uh, NKVD th- uh, theater selectors. Oh, you jerk, uh, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> this this was mainly because of my early war leaning, and I've, I mm. do have a few NKVD in the line to be printed, so I thought, well, maybe this platoon could be uh, generic enough so that I could um, drag it into my early war. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, it's an, it, it's, it's an interesting... Um, a little platoon selector there, um, obviously uh, all focused on NKVD units. Mm-hmm. What I really liked about that is you got, so one of the units is they give, because in the regular Soviet book, NKVD are regular guys um, with rifles that you can update to carry um, submachine SMG. guns, yep. and you can also make them fanatics. Um, and in this book, you get the option to take uh, inexperienced squads, or veteran squads. Now, the veteran squads are really interesting because they have an additional rule. Um, would you like to tell folks what that does? Because I was I was pretty chuffed to see that, and I'm I really kind of want to play with it. So tell us what 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 did they add? Yeah, this is um this is a really cool little unit actually in there. It's um it's uh, the Smirsh squads. So yes. some of the other uh, the um those uh, unpleasant or infiltrating units that went around during the war. But um, as you were saying, we've got, um, we've got a veteran infantry unit, we've got a small unit of just five men to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, any of them can be upgraded to submachine guns, so you've got that option there, mm-hmm. and, and an LMG as well. Now, they've got tough fighters, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, that's great now, not quite, um, and makes them a lot tougher. Exactly. And, and got- hold on. And like this, the naval troops in the Soviet book, because they have tough fighter built in, um, if you upgrade them to have submachine guns instead of rifles, it's only two points rather than three points. The, the one point for tough fighters already taken out. So that's um, wrong. Yeah, and these are and these guys gun, yeah. are 16 points each. So you're wondering, well, hold on. If veterans are usually 13 and you add one more point for the tough fighter, that's 14. Why, why do they cost two more points a model? Luke, what else do you get? Uh, we've got another um, great rule here. It's uh, the not one step back rule uh, from the, uh, from the uh, commissars. That's right. So basically uh, this unit essentially acts like a commissar unit. So um, any unit within six inches of the, uh, the squad is subject to the not one step back rule. So that means um, you, you could use this squad as a great tough veteran squad surrounded by a few of these inexperienced squads mm-hmm. and um, form a nice little uh, baseline and um, have a really tough assaulting squad. That's right. 
And I also, I, I missed the first time I read this because when I was talking about the inexperienced squad earlier, they're just inexperienced rifle guys, right? And they yeah. just have regular rifles and they're the usual seven points for an inexperienced rifleman. Um, you can give some, some of them submachine guns um, or you can give all of them. Yeah, that's right. Any of the soldiers can have submachine guns. That's right, yes. That's right. Uh, they have green built in um, and you can, you can upgrade them to have an LMG. But what I found really interesting and what I missed the first time is that you can pay to give them fanatic. So you can have fanatic inexperienced squads. Now I'm not sure I'd want to pay for that, but um I mean three points per dude is a fair bit. But then if you think about it, fanatic really does give you some great options as far as not being wiped off the board. Um and by inexperienced making things inexperienced, I mean you can help offset the the price tag. Um, to have, yeah. yeah. Um, I just think it, this, I mean, you and I are both really interested in NKVD. Um, we yeah. talked about that in a previous episode, um, in when we were talking about Stalling, Stalingrad, I believe, um, we talked about the viability of making an NKVD army. Well, now you have two additional uses or units to add to that army list. Um, and yeah, I just, I just love it. Um, of course I'm a James Bond fanatic. And so, um, having the opportunity to have a Smurf squad in an army, I was like, yes, sign me up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I can't say whether it's going to be the most, uh, most greatest thing ever, but it no. certainly would be, um, would be fun to put on the table in a few inexperienced squads backed up with, you know, a big tough squad behind them, pushing them forward. Mm hmm never know what can happen it um it certainly would be some bit different absolutely so, yeah that's um yeah that, that that that's been an interesting platoon otherwise through the um uh through the settings they have have access interestingly to uh zero to two artillery that's only limited to the uh the light uh at gun and a light mm -hmm. artillery gun which i feel is quite nice you know, not too much over the top you'd hate exactly. someone to be able to bring two big medium houses or something like that but um, yeah, and obviously um, a, a smaller supply on the amount of vehicles they can get. They're just T60s, a T34. Doesn't say what model, and and just a few of the other lighter armored vehicles. So it just maybe right. helps pull down the maybe the power of that platoon. But um, it certainly would be a fun little one to play around with at some stage. Agreed. And what uh, that one is sort of historically matched up against. Um, the the army that I actually kind of want to talk about next. Um, and that is the and the AK army out of the Polish uprising of Warsaw. Yes. Now there's a whole big section on the warlord, sorry, the worst, the warlord, Warsaw uprising um, where, so the Soviets, just to put this in historical perspective, I know we've talked about the Warsaw uprising repeatedly on this, on the LRDG and on, in the ghost army and all that in the past. Um, because I had a, I, I, and one of my favorite armies that I played with for years and years and years um, was a war, uh, Warsaw Uprising partisan army um, using the partisan rules from the, the French book. Um, and in that, in that battle, of course, um, the Germans had occupied Warsaw and there had been um, the, the forces, the AK forces, which the army... Car, I, yeah, after all my years of playing that army, I still don't know how to pronounce that, which is embarrassing. Um, Krajwa um, forces. Um, and 
the Soviets are on the verge of invading Warsaw. Like the Soviet machine is 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 crushing towards Warsaw, smashing German forces, pushing them out of the way and or just defeating them. And then they're right on the verge of the city and they broadcast these codes that they'd arranged with the with the Polish to um, if you guys rise up when we're coming in and help us, um, you know, it'll be great for you um, later when we take you, you know, when we, sorry, don't take you over. Um, But that's actually the end game of what they did do. So they got to the edge of the city and controversially, very controversially, they broadcasted the codes of we're coming, start fighting. And um, the Polish forces rose up, the partisan forces rose up and started a revolution. um, And they were really effective to start with. Um, but the Soviet forces never sort of came through on their side of the deal. Um, and it, and they were largely left out in the wind. Um, and the Germans were then able to just turn around and deal with the forces. Um, now this book gives you, um, historical theater selectors for both, um, the Polish forces and the German forces. And there's also NKVD forces fighting against these Polish forces as well. So you get three sets of um, theater selectors. Now, this is a really interesting theater selector in that the it gives you new units. It gives you very specific uh, lists of what you can put into... Um, an AK army, the Warsaw Uprising Polish Force Army. What's really interesting is how, I don't know, how regular it is. Um, And it uses the Polish rules. So for those catching up at home, this is on page 50. Um, You get two new types of units uh, as infantry squads outside of the officers. So you get um, the Kedwawów, I don't cheat. I, my Polish is terrible. Squads. Um, and they are the Directorate of Sabotage and Diversion Units. Um, and they were country people recruited from outside Warsaw and trained in the art of sabotage and assassination. Now, these are a regular squad in the game. Um, you have an NCO and nine guys with rifles. Up to two guys can be armed with Panzerfaust. You can give the squads uh, anti-tank grenades. You can give them an LMG. Um, and, um, they are fanatic. Now, what's really interesting, and you pay for the fanatic, but there's no options for SMGs. There's no options for pistols. Um, so I was, I was surprised by that because I'm not the army that I played. Um, and I did a fair bit of historical research about what people carried around in that battle, um, they they were just using what they could get their hands on. And yes, they were using a lot of captured um, or um, old hidden, like rifles they'd been stockpiling. Yes, rifles were definitely present in that force, probably more than anything else. But there were a lot of pistols, a lot of SMGs. It was a city yeah. fight. Um, and the militia squad that's also in there is is like the other squad. It's a rifle squad, an NCO and nine guys for 70 points. Um, they're green, um, and you can add more guys, but you, the only option for that is to take anti-tank grenades. I mean, there's the sniper, there's the medium machine gun team, there's the flamethrower team um, that has the partisan rules. If you give me one second, Luke, you have an anti-tank team with a Piat, um, which were used in that battle, of course. 
There is a new armored car, the Kubis, um, which, of course, is the one they famously made. There was only one of them. Um, and there was the looted um, uh, Hanamag that they put a, a thin roof on and a heavier machine gun. And they used other looted vehicles. And there's rules for all of that in here. And that's great. I almost feel like the partisan rules, if you took the Kubis rules from this book, if you took the special Grey Wolf, um, the special Hanomag that has its special name, if you took those and put them in the partisan list, I almost feel like that makes a better AK Warsaw Uprising army. Um, and I'm not trying to sound down on the one, the one in this book. I think it works brilliantly for some of these missions, but for some of the Warsaw Uprising units, um, I feel like they maybe not be super representative luke what do you think um yeah I, i've just noticed there um you pointed that out for the first time those squads don't include any um smgs or or pistols which is uh, a little bit harsh on them because i uh, further on there is um that the mission where they attack the university and they right roll up in their uh their the kubis and the um the, the captured hanamak yeah i'm just thinking of that yeah that's um that, yeah, to have um, assault squads would be quite nice for that. And it just, yeah, it, it is a little bit strange. It, yeah, like to see how that turns out. And I mean, there is, I mean, there are some, there's the, the local library actually has a, a fantastic book on the Warsaw Uprising and with a huge set of color and black and white picture panels. And in almost every picture, um, Polish forces are using SMGs. And I'm just like, hmm, interesting. Um, and of course, if you look at page 47, there's the defense of the, um, street barricades and it all, uh, most of those people are carrying pistols, grenades, and SMGs, not rifles. And you go, "Mm." yeah. And you look at that and go, "Mm, I'm pretty sure they used, I mean, this, it was a brutal city fight. Um, and, um, you just, yeah, I, I feel like, like if I have one gripe with this book, and this, I think that would be it. Um, but I know that the partisan list is slightly problematic in and of itself. While it was created to be super generalist and allow you, you know, the one in the French book, um, it it is so broad um, and it leaves you so many options that, and the special rules are sort of vague on how they... I mean, they're, they're unlike any other national set of rules. Um, the, you can build a list out of that that, that in my mind, can, that is perfect for the Warsaw Uprising in general. Um, but you can also abuse it and take units that weren't there. Um, I feel like you definitely need... Um, I don't know. It goes both ways. Am I making sense? Like, you don't want to... Ab- like there's no cavalry. The warlord, um, yeah. sorry, in the Warsaw Uprising, they didn't run around with cavalry. They just didn't do it. It was a city fight. Yeah. They didn't have horses. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so you wouldn't want to include those units in that list. Um, but that that is definitely a unit that's in the partisan list. So I think if you, as long as you're historically minded and you do your homework and you know what was in the Warsaw Uprising, I feel like maybe the partisan list might be better. Um, that said, if you are going to go against the NKVD list, um, that's in this book, or if you're going to go against the German list that's in this book, um, perhaps 
using this Warsaw Uprising theater selector might be appropriately leveled and powered up. I, I don't know. Um, Luke, what do you think? I'm, I'm kind of talking a lot on that. Yeah, no, I can see what you mean there. Some of the uh, the German squads maybe end, end up a bit more expensive and some of those NKVD squads may end up a little bit more expensive. So you may be a, a little bit more cheaper with the um, the Polish, but it's still going to be a tough fight for them. But I, I again, I think that's in a way how a lot of these mission, missions are tuned. They're, yeah. they're, they're tuned to be tough fights. I don't know if... If you go up to them as an open fight, you know, either person can win. It depends. Yeah, well, obviously any game can depend on the luck and the generalship, I suppose. But I think a lot of these missions are just tuned a little bit more one way because that was that was the history of the, the, the time, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let, let's let's go beyond that. Um, and there's quite a few new units spread across the book. Um, I was very pleased as I was flipping through the book this week to find, um, they have special shirts and rules in this, um, the bed spring shirts in that was used, yeah, yes. um, on Soviet tanks. Um, it just looks so cool. Uh, and I don't, I I've seen some conversion kits to make it where it's just literally spring. It's like shirts in for the side of tanks to prevent tanks um, from being hit with like bazookas, like the Germans, that's why the Germans put them on their tanks. But when the Soviets did it, they were trying to cut down on the number of um, Panzerfaust <laughs> or the, the damage to their T-34s. And so they literally just put the spring stuff up uh, on the sides of the tanks, um, panels of springs. And you might think, well, that's kind of ineffective. But what it would do is, because it was a shaped charge, um, if you hit it with the, the bed spring, um, the beds, I'm, I'm sorry, if a bed, a rocket hit a bed spring, it would detonate not on the hull and it would dissipate the, the force of the hit. Um, I just thought that was really cool that they included that. Um, because it is, it, I've seen it in other games. I've heard about it. I've, you know, it is in a lot of places and there it is. Now it's in the rules. Um, I like that that's there. I also like that they've included rules for the mouse um, and the SDKFZ-234, the Luschsturm, which is a Puma chassis with the Panzer IIL Lusch turret, um, which, you know, isn't a fantastic, you know, it's not blowing your socks off necessarily vehicle-wise, but I really like the look of it, um, and I was just really glad to see rules for it. Now, I'm pretty sure that rules for some of those have appeared in other places, either on a website or in other books, um, but it was cool to see him there, but we did get some new squads that were not in other things on page 110. Um, do you want to talk about the replacement army squad? Because I know you want to talk about the Panzer Zerestor Truppen. Yeah. All right then. So yeah, there's a, a few more additional units there for the Germans for right at the late war. So this is some of the units fighting in Berlin, mm. um, around the Reichstag right at the, right in the last days. So <clears throat> Uh, with the replacement army squad, this is uh, you know some of the last, um, some of the last and most desperate, inexperienced guys drawn up, and most likely even um, people that didn't want, even want to be here, which we'll see through the rules. So we have a, a really cheap squad. We've got um, inexperienced infantry at twenty points for only five guys. So there's obviously a few more rules based in there. That's because these guys have shirkers. Yes. So uh, you can build a squad that's 
just going to stand there for a little bit and um, potentially probably run away later on in the game. But um, you can uh, equip them, uh, get a few submachine guns in the squad, uh, some Panzerfaust mm-hmm. in there, and it's just one of those uh, desperate squads in the last days of the war, even hours, I suppose, that um, probably didn't even want to be there. Exactly. Um, so not yeah, exactly I've, I've, the, the greatest squad in the world, but historically, um, if you're talking defense of Berlin... That should be in there. Um, that yeah. should be in there. I've personally never had much experience with shirkers myself, um, so I don't know if there's any tricks to make make them work or anything like that. But um, it does it, it does seem like a tough rule. But I'm sure um, maybe with enough squads and big enough squads, they can stick around for long enough. Yeah, that um, yeah, it certainly is um, one of those squads that was there anyhow. I once played against um, a friend's army, Anthony, who ran god it was a long time ago now but i believe he had 50 outflanking um shirker (laughs) inexperienced guys um and they out so he had his core army but then he had so um we're talking what 40 points for 10 guys um and there was five of them so he spent 200 points on 50 outflanking shirkers um and it was intimidating. Um, I think I may have won that game. Um, and I know he said at the end of the, at the event that it wasn't the most effective thing he'd ever done. But holy, it was unbelievable. It's like he had almost a full army on the table. And then you would realize, wait, there's a, that wall of models that's sitting on the sideboard. Yeah, they're coming in from out flank. You were like, Ugh, stop that. Yeah. It, it was truly scary. Um, and sure, not all of them came on all the time because they were inexperienced and you have to roll to bring them on. But man, if you want to intimidate the hell out of somebody, that's definitely a way of doing it. Um, yeah, well, that, yeah. That brings down the, uh, the cost of the squad. And, and I suppose now in second edition too, we've, if you get the squad up to full strength, which is still relatively cheap, they have that, uh, you know, that re-roll mm-hmm. to um, come in from outflank. So, um, yeah. And that's, right. some... that's pretty damn good if you're trying to get your guys on the board in the first place. Um, if you're just trying to get a yeah. wall of guys on, that's the way to do it. Have them at full strength. And this is one of those squads where there's only 10 guys. Um, and yeah. you're pay- you're paying forty points for ten guys. It look, it may it definitely makes me think. Hmm, if I'm running a late war like w- wicked late war German army, maybe a couple of squads of these guys isn't a bad idea. Yeah, it stirs the pot a little bit. They can get two Panzerfaust with them. Mm-hmm. They have less chance of hitting. But if someone's lazy and has a vehicle at the side, I don't know. That's yeah. That's all made me think a little bit more actually. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I, yeah, I, I like that a lot. And I got to give Anth props because I never would have gi- given that unit another yeah. look. I would have just, I've just disregarded it. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, the next one is really tasty. Um, I don't know. I mean, when I say tasty, I mean, some people are thinking, oh, it's powerful. No, I don't know if it's powerful. It, it's just cool. It's different. Um, yeah. Talk us through the, the Panzer Zerestorer Truppen. Okay then, yeah. So this this is a unit I've been looking for a, for a little bit in in um, bolt action too. It's it, it's a, a tank killer unit for the Germans, which um you know were formed up for a few guys in a platoon with a few extra uh, tank weapons and mm-hmm. any tank weapons, and given the job of um being the dedicated any tank. So uh, 
These guys, uh, we're looking at, uh, you can get a regular or a veteran squad. Uh, we're looking at an NCO with six men. So we're a seven-man squad. So we're already kind of getting up in the cost a little bit there. Mm-hmm. But the interesting, what, what makes this squad interesting is they've got SMG. So that's adding a little bit more. Yep. Uh, but then we go, we can have up to three men with Panda Shreks in this squad for 20 points each. Yes. Now, that is tasty, I feel. Oh, absolutely. That gives you at least two, and especially now that Shape Charge, Shape Charge is a lot better in our second edition now. Mm-hmm. Maybe having two of, the, two of those in a squad, you get uh, quite a bit of anti-tank potential in right. place of maybe an anti-tank gun. So, um, But for, okay, it, sh- it should be said that, so you can only take up to a maximum of three Panzer Shreks for 20 points each. But for each yep. Panzer Shrek you get, one other guy in the squad has to become a loader. So it's like an yeah. LMG. But what's interesting is any man that's not part of the Panzer Shrek team may be given a Panzerfaust. So if you want to go ridiculous, you can put, you know, seven Panzerfausts yeah. in this unit and just be like, come at me, bro. Or you could take what I would probably do is take two Panzer Shreks and two Panzerfausts and or maybe three Panzerfausts and you just, <laughs> hey, come at me, vehicles. I'm right here. Um, and th- I, I love how this vehicle comes. Sorry, this vehicle, this squad comes with SMGs and anti-tank grenades built in. Now, you're paying for them, but yeah. it just means that they they're great in a number of. Uh, arenas and it's it's a great all-arounder unit um, and man is it a deterrent for if you take a unit of these guys at veteran you're, you're paying a lot of points 137 points for seven guys but man they they got a little bit of everything in there and if you give them i mean sure it's a lot of points but man if you if you build your list around these guys or if you really need to hold something and you know, you you're playing the old demolition mission, and someone's got a tiger or you know some sort of big scary tank that you can't deal with. Here's your solution: stick them somewhere, put them down. Dude gets close enough, pop them out, wreck somebody's day. Um, it's it's a fun unit, and I mean, I don't think it's it's game breaking because you're paying through the nose for these guys. Um, but man, I think they can have a real impact on the tabletop. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I feel you're paying a lot for them as well. If you think about maybe the equivalent of an anti-tank gun or something like that, you know, these these guys, if you're going with even just the regular, the cheap, by the time you get the 105 points and you know, 40 points, you're looking at 145 points for yeah. two Panzer Shreks. Now, that's a bit more than an anti-tank gun. And, and I, I will. I do know these guys do have the, the double opportunity. Then, as soon as there's no tanks or anything from the fire on the tabletop, they've got SMGs and can run off and create other types of havoc. But Definitely. no, I, I certainly like the unit, and um, it, it, and also the way that they use them in a lot of the theater selectors later on. They they do limit it by only having zero to one exactly in there as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I noticed that as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's just a great characterful new unit. Um, not game breaking, does something different in the game, um, and really adds something to the list that wasn't there before. Um, I mean, we also have. It should be mentioned that right here there is a unit smack dab in the middle of the four units we just talked about: the mouse, the yeah. the louche, um, the panther term, um, which I know uh, quite a few people that have been messing around with this. Well, not quite a few, a few people. Um, a local player, Mark, has some of these. And of course, the the one and only Peter West took some of these to Moab this year. 
Um, so these are, it's basically a panther turret on an immobile concrete bunker. Um, and so it's 292 points for an inexperienced immobile vehicle, um, which sounds kind of terrible, but then you got to remember it, it's the panther turret. So it is a armor 10 tank. It's got a turret mounted, so it's 360-degree arc, with a super-heavy AT gun and a coax MMG. Um, the Panther term counts as a vehicle. It always, it's always counted as in hard cover, um, so it's hard to hit. Um, and it also counts as immobilized, um, and, and it counts immobilized as crew stun re- results instead. It cannot move for the entire game and is therefore always set up on the table. So no matter what the mission is, you always set this thing up, uh, up to 12 from the player's table edge, um, even if scenarios don't allow that initial setup of unit. And I'm glad they put that in because yeah. um, you would hate to pay that many points and go to an event maybe and then have them say, nope, can't put it on the table. And go, Just Feel badsies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and again, this is us talking about how to cut down on those feel badsies. Um, but yeah. Well, that, that that would be um great to see some of these on the table. How you can put them on the table early on in the game. Um, I've looked at the Japanese ones a few times, and mm. to see this come, the, the recently released by Warlord, well, maybe a few weeks ago now. But that would um yeah, you're looking at an armored ten, heavy anti, yeah, super heavy anti tank gun, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and, and it, it, even so. Even though it's got a bit of a, a you know a, a problem to hit, needing the minus one to hit, um, anything firing at it, it's got the minus two to hit. So I'm sure it would be a, a bit of a problem. Agreed, agreed. Well, let's let's jump back. So that's the the Battle of Berlin, and we got, of course, we talked about all those new units going in. Well, let's let's jump to the other side of the book, shall we? Um, and if we go to page twenty two. Um, there's a series of new additional German units as well. Um, now, some of these are really interesting. So w- we have this security battalion, um, which I'm not going to try and pronounce the name of. Uh, it's 35 points for inexperienced guys. One NCO with five guys with rifles. They're green. Um, you can give guys, you can get up to five more guys. So again, max of 10 um, with rifles for seven points each. Uh, the NCO can have a submachine gun. Um, one man can have a light machine gun and one guy can have a Panzerfaust. So you look at this and you go, okay, that's, that's okay. But the gendarmerie squad, um, which give you finally the German military police. So you can have up to five, it's five regular guys plus additional up to five more. Um, they're 10 points each as normal. The NCI, NCO and up to five guys can have submachine guns, which, you know, is something you don't see in the German list too much. Um, Panzerfaust. Um, but the entire squad... Um, now, it does say that each LMG is supposed to be, but I look at that and there isn't an option for an LMG, so I feel like either that's paste error or... Yeah, uh, I'm not that's sure. That's a bit confusing. Yeah. Um, but they have the rule, a special rule called chain dogs. Now, again, we're you're not paying for this rule. It's built into the squad. Um, it's ten. I mean, they're ten points a model for regular, so they're regular 
And this rule is kind of free. And it says any Strafbat penal squad or replacement enemy, sorry, replacement army squad starting a turn within six inches of guys um, will lose um, the Shirker special rule for that turn. Now, that gets interesting if you go back to that squad we were talking about earlier um, that had shirkers, and you go, oh, wait a minute. Now they don't have shirkers. So if you park one of these units in the middle of that unit, in, in or I, I guess in the middle of some of those, um, you can really get around the shirker rule. Uh, I think it's just a neat way to build an army yeah. list. Um, and, of course, then there's another unit called the Field Jagger Corps, um, which is the veteran version of the same unit. Um, they they have the option of assault rifles. Um, they have, again, submachine guns. They can also take Panzerfaust. And again, they can be on motorcycles. And again, it says that each LMG is supposed to be mounted on a motorbike with a sidecar, but there is no option for LMGs. Oops. Um, but they have the chain dog rule. Now, I think that that makes for a really interesting... Um, dynamic and of course there's the Shraf Battalion yeah. Penal Squad which is right there um, which also is a Shirker Squad and ha- just has a ton of options um, so you're paying so oh it should be mentioned and I know the Snafu guys talked about it in their episode this is your opportunity to take Shirker Regular Infantry so you can take the yeah. Straf Battalion Squads at 20 points inexperienced for five guys, so the four points per model, because traditionally Shirkers is a three-point discount per squad. Now, or regular squads at seven points, so the 10 points with the three-point discount. But you can, so again, you can go up to 10 guys with these guys, um, but you can have the NCO and up to two guys having submachine guns. You can have the NCO up to two guys having assault rifles. There is a light machine gun option in this, there is a Panzerfaust option, um, and you can get Bantu tank grenades. But again, they have shirkers. But if you tag team them with the military police with the chain dogs, well, that gets really interesting. Um, what do you think about that, this, Luke? That certainly does, Brad. I'm just looking at that. Yeah, you can get seven-point regular infantry. Then as long as I suppose you put the investment into one of the um, the to the other military police squads... They, are, they lose that shirkers rule. Pretty interesting, Ooh. right? It is. Yeah. I, <laughs> it, I am definitely going to be, the next game of bolt action I play, um, I am definitely going to be, because I have enough German models to drown someone, so I think I'm going to be trying that one out. Um, I'm not going to go crazy <laughs> with it, but, you know, have a couple of squads of those guys with the fields um, police backing them up. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that makes for a really interesting experiment. Yeah, something different to mix it up that always keeps the games uh, keeps the games you know flowing and fun and looking forward to the next little plan. That's it. That's it. Um, now <laughs> we have the Stug Riders. Um, now these were in the Ostfront book, yeah. amongst other places. Uh, it, they basically are the tank riders, except you can only put them on um, assault guns, and they're for Germans, not Soviets. Um, I mean, these guys were literally the the order, the way these guys were used in battle. The tanks were used. Um, as more transportation, I believe. It wasn't that these guys were rolling around on these guys. Oh, no, they were. They were provide anti-infantry protection. 
um, and to engage enemy tank hunters. So if you're looking for a way to get around um, maybe getting all the transports, if you're playing a Tank Wars game or you just want to move your guys around without having to buy the trucks, um, and you're planning on taking an assault gun and getting it rolling around, um, it just gives you a nice option there. Again, adds to the list. Um, of course, they were, again, in the Oz Front book, but if you didn't have the Oz Front book, now you have them in here. Um, now, they also add a couple of units to the Soviets. Um, the Soviets get access to two particular um, tanks that were in the armies of the U.S. and the armies of Great Britain books. Yeah. Um, so you get the Mark III Valentine, um, the what, Mark III Valentine 9, um, which for 170 points gives you a medium tank that's slow, but you have a turret-mounted medium anti-tank gun. Um, that is a nice little discount on a medium tank with a medium AT gun, um, being as 170 points. Um, you also have the M4A2 Sherman 75mm gun. Um, if you're wanting to properly run a Sherman in a Soviet book without Lend-Lease, well, now you have the option. Um, and it's got the easily catch fire rule. It's got the HE. Um, it's just got a lot of really neat stuff. So it's cool. It's nice. Um, what do you think? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's good to have a few more of those little lend-lease in there. I suppose it helps some of the uh, Soviet players to use the, maybe to have a thought of using some of those vehicles instead of having to invest in one of the other books if uh, that's what they need to do. That's right. Yeah, one of the other um, theatre selectors I was looking at later on is um, we're going to make another little jump here. Mm-hmm, was um, later on in the Prague uprising. Yes, uh, we've we've got an, another new platoon there, which was you know is another interesting place that could have been a little sub-faction within a faction, the ROA. Yes. So talk us, who are these guys? These guys were, uh, I suppose, the, uh, the, the the locals that are formed up um, to to fight against the, um, the the Germans in the end. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so talk us through these guys. It's like a German, <laughs> non-German list. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, so the German army created the um, its own Russian army formation. Um, yeah, yeah, back earlier in the war and when they were running out of numbers. So eventually, this army came up to be quite a, quite a large army, and they were collecting other weapons along the way. So they did get involved in the uh, in the Prague uprising and all that type of business. What they were doing towards the end of the war is they were looking to try to retreat towards the American lines because that's where they would be a lot safer. A lot of these people were Soviet or, you know, Soviet citizens that were fighting against the Soviets as well. So they weren't going to be looked at very well. Right. So they were, um, they were going, you know, on their way to the German, uh, to the American lines to try to surrender. You know, but along their way, they were involved in the, um, the, the Battle of Prague. So there's a little theatre selector here which allows you to bring some of these uh, infantry squads. So, that, you know, they were mainly equipped with uh, German weaponry. So uh, you have a platoon that's just got, uh, they have here just hair grenadier squads. Um, and then you just go through, you can upgrade them with um, some Ostruppen. So, again, so uh, inexperienced guys. And another squad, which we'll get to, is a Czech Patriot squad. That's right. So these guys were meant to be quite experienced and all that. They're all upgraded here as our regulars. And we just get a normal mix of um, you can you can get a mix of uh, German and uh, Soviet um, armored cars, mm-hmm. and also a little mix of German uh, Soviet tanks, which is um, 
would be different to see a little mix on the table. And also a little special rule for them, which probably doesn't have that much play, but when you're playing the scenarios in the book, they have um, a fin- uh, the forces count as being fanatics when they're um, playing Soviets. That's right. Now, interestingly, if you look back, um, there's a few alternative um, Prague Uprising mission rules, and one of them is not only did these guys get fanatics, the Soviets get it as well. Um, But I think that might be one of those, you and I are playing, let's decide on this. So I don't know if that's 100% firm and fast, but it does directly say in the ROA army list, um, that you take, that if you're fighting Soviets, the ROA are considered fanatics. Yes. So, yeah. Now, if you were to take an ROA vehicle, or sorry, list to a tournament, um, I don't think the Soviet forces would then get fanatics. I think that this probably would. But again, it says if you're using in a scenario. So it depends on how, I guess, the tournament organizer would want to run it. Um, that That's, yeah. yeah, that's one of the... Yeah, the things that comes up with the theatre selectors. But, yeah, one of the great things is they do encourage people to try unique and different forces. So, you know, it's great if, you know, players and organisers can work together and and, and let these things happen, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I missed the fact that there was, yeah, that they had both Soviet and German vehicles. Um, I think that's really cool. It, it, you would, yeah, this would be a completely different looking army. Um, yeah, you can have the old Jagdpanzer 38T next to, um, you know, an SU-76. Yeah, absolutely, right? <laughs> Which is boggles the mind. I need to look up what paint scheme these guys used. That, that, um, yeah, that's, that, that, that certainly would be different. Yeah, oh, cool. Right on. I, I, um, I, yep, go ahead. I, just to go back to one of the things you said there about um, some of the missions there, I did notice that in some of the missions, which I suppose gives a little bit more value to the mission. They A lot of the missions have alternatives at the end of them. Yes. Just a, just a little bit way to um, mix them up, which I suppose adds extra value to the missions. And, and the few that I've read, I think they tend to maybe try to balance the mission towards a little bit more of an even-style game. Mm-hmm. If if you know, if you see what I'm going there, so maybe the mission as it's written in the book is meant to be kind of an historical one way. Then they seem to have this alternative where it goes instead of using an outnumbered force, use equal forces, but you know one side has half their force in reserve. So you know maybe a little attempt to just to try to mix it up and yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I mean that that was sort of a criticism that we've heard from some players with some of the other theater books um, where there were a lot of historical missions that people looked at and said, well, I I don't play that style of game. This isn't how I like to enjoy bolt action. Um, I I don't want to play these weird mismatch missions um, that maybe some historical, more historically minded people might want to. Um, I mean, Look, I, I personally, I like a fair mission. Um, I'm fam- <laughs> famous for it, uh, infamous for it. Um, and so I really like the option that they went out of their way to include even missions that weren't balanced. They give you those options to make them balanced. I think that was a really neat design um, idea that I'm glad they included because now I'm mo- much more likely to take some of the missions from this book and play with it. Um, yeah, well... It- even then, you can give it a go the first way, and then go, "Ooh, that was tough." Yeah. <laughs> and then give it away and give it a go the second, the second way. So, yeah, straight away I saw that, and I thought that's a nice little addition. No, I totally agree. 
And as I've been painting German vehicles um, on and off for the last however many years, I've been painting that awful camouflage pattern on my tanks. Um, I have, I sort of woke up and, you know, was scratching myself and trying to wake up the day the other day. And I looked in the, the glass case in the bedroom corner and was like, oh my God, I have a lot of late war German tanks. And um, I think when I was just flipping through this book, I was like, oh, looking through that theater lecture. Hey, I have a ton of those tanks. Maybe I should try and play this sometime. Um, so it was just really cool to see. Um, and it's nice. Uh, I mean, I know there's been a lot of people who are uh, maybe playing more event-based lists internationally that, you know, people might want to take a Panzer for because it has tank, con- or sorry, Tiger Fear or whatnot. And I know that gets up a lot of people's nose because all of a sudden Panzer IVs are the most populist tank on any bolt action table and you're not seeing maybe the stugs of the stug 42s that you used to see before um but i think it's just really nice that this book gives you a different way to play the game um and sort of puts it in historical context sort of structures it in in the great narrative um that is the end of the war and um yeah it's i I really like the book uh i gotta say i like it um, I bought it. Um, I didn't, you know, get a free copy. I went out and spent my hard-earned dollars on it, and I'm glad I did. Uh, I really enjoy the book, um, and I'm glad I have it on the shelf. I know that you and I, Luke, are probably tragics who own every bolt-action book, um, but there are books that sit on my shelf and don't get opened unless I'm podcasting. Uh, I don't think this will be one of those books. Um, there's definitely some units that I'm going to be trying out. Um, we talked about a number of them, and... Um, I am keen to try some of these missions. Uh, Again, if you want to hear more about the missions, please check out the Snafu podcast. Those guys talk about it for hours. Um, And yeah, good stuff. Um, They played a bunch of them and then talked through them. They don't just read and analyze them. They actually went out and played them, um, which I thought was great, Um, especially since they really went out of their way to do it in a timely manner because, as I said, they got the book early. They played a bunch of games. They recorded and kicked out in a podcast episode. So Big hats off to those guys. Love that episode. Um, keep up the good work, guys. So um, I I may be just about finished. Um, Luke, what do you think? Anything you want to add? No, I'm just like you. I've quite enjoyed the book. I'm, yeah, as you were saying, one of those tragics. We've got to have. We've got to collect the books. We've got to collect the models. It's it's got some nice articles in there. Nice bits of history, and I think. I will go through and try some of the missions, even if I don't always have the forces initially. I think there's um, some nice little uh, difference in the missions, and yeah, just to uh, just to tell some people to give them a go. I suppose as long as you go into the outset with a mission to know that well, this is not an even mission we're going to win, and uh, see how long your desperate Germans can hold out against uh, the onrushing hordes of the, the Soviets. Definitely, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, it's good stuff. And opening this book and then thinking about, um, you know, the road to Berlin, um, but on the Soviet side has definitely got me actually going back. And as soon as I was reading through this book, I went, ah, quick, let me pull out that battle of the bulge book that I like so much. And, (laughs) you know, I was going back and forth and back and forth. And then of course that led to me pulling out the German book, the American book, um, the, the British book, the Soviet book and the Ostfront book. And I'm like, it just led to this giant pile of books that I had open and was cross-referencing between, not because I needed to, 
The books are actually written in a way that you don't. But it meant that I was like, oh, look at all these options. And you look at it. It just there's just a lot to the game right now. And it's mm. cool. It's it's you don't need it all. But if you want to add that little extra piece, um, this book definitely adds pieces that got me looking at other things and got me thinking. And it, it definitely got my uh, my historical juices flowing um, and that and getting me out of the um, conflict 47 mindset um not to say that I'm out of it. I'm absolutely still painting that stuff up. But just to even consider not looking at a Conflict 47 sort of scenario, I think it just speaks volumes to how much I enjoyed this book. So, yeah. That's think, great. Yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think we will call it a day. Um, thank you very much for listening. Um, this is, of course, the Cast Dice Podcast. Um, if you would like to leave us feedback, and guys, I have to say I'm really happy with all the the feedback that folks have been giving us. Um, I know that there was a couple weeks where the or a week where the show disappeared for a moment. Um, that was because we were recording a Ghost Army podcast, which should be coming out the same week as this episode. Um, it's been sent off to the publishers, and while I publish Cast Dice myself, just to pull back the curtain a little bit so you understand the process, um, the the LRDG2 um, and the um, Ghost Army podcast, all of those casts are under the WWPD umbrella. Um, now, that has led to an interesting... Um, problem with a few people finding cast dice um it is it is listed as its own um entity it is not on the wwpd podcast network um if you are trying to find us um i highly recommend either go to facebook um find the just put type in the cat uh the, the cast dice podcast you'll find our page hit like um you'll see when episodes come up or alternatively, if you are an Apple user like I am and you use the iTunes store, um, just go on and hit subscribe. And every time that, that our podcast comes up, guys, you'll see it right away. Um, so, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Um, there's, I know that in the last episode I talked about um, talking with our good friend Christian Blatt from the United States about some classic stories and starting the first episode of cast dice slash um, old, you know, old man Morin's story time. Um, so the next episode I believe will be discussing the X-Men comic run from the eighties, the, the death of dark Phoenix. So the end of the Phoenix saga, um, just to try something new over Christmas, I believe we're going to be talking it, the Stephen King novel in that series. Um, but before then, of course, there'll be a ton of gaming casts, uh, you will be hearing more about Conflict 47, uh, amongst other games. So, if there's something you'd like us to talk about on this podcast, please let us know. Anyway, thank you very much. And uh, I know we've missed Thanksgiving by a few days, but I hope that you and yours, if you are celebrating Thanksgiving in one form or another, have had a wonderful blessed year and that you have had many things to be thankful for. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Cast Dice saying... Good night. Another day rise in Paraguayan sun. The food cracks open. Another Heineken. He's all alone. He's in his little room. He's all alone.
Sagan.